Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Once there was a time, uh, way back in 2010, when neither of us had ever been to Rwanda. Uh, A mere seven years later, uh, I've gone on three trips, and Greg's been on five. The Lord took us each on an individual journey uh, to get to the point where we were ready to go, but at the center of it was his desire to use us as vehicles of his love, hope, and reconciliation in, in, that, uh, in that situation, and to draw each of us closer to him through that experience. There was once a season, which today seems so long ago. Within these very walls, I sat back there, struggling with faith. I was begging the Lord in prayer to meet my needs, give me a chance, and maybe even restore my faith. Then, like I stand before you now, stood an answer to God's need for me. An opportunity to come alongside this congregation's calling to serve the people of Rwanda. I suddenly experienced this Superman feeling. I could do anything. I could go to Rwanda. But worldly wisdom and my ability to compartmentalize my circumstances won every argument for the next two years. And consequently, I would come out of the clouds and look in the mirror. Not Superman. I had no reason. I did not trust. And I could not believe that I could go to such a place. Then God met me. Broken, but still called. An act of obedience was going to be the first dose of remedy to my my restoration of my faith. And by this act of obedience, it was in Rwanda where I began to understand what it tastes like to live in the kingdom, his kingdom. And year after year, I've been so blessed and honored and privileged to go, not just on my accord, but for you. In our third trip, as policy seems fit, we were both renamed, and not in what we expected. They saw our hearts. Kuzera is not just my name. I get to share it with you. Faithful is not something you just are. It's a virtue, like patience and compassion. Faith is something we must practice and share with each other though we get it wrong at times. But I beseech you now, when you taste the kingdom of living, the kingdom living, there is nothing private about it. It only costs me time to share and invite you into the experience. My name is Cuisera. My name is Muhire. And, and we, we are, are reconciled, reconciled to, Christ. to Christ. Now we're reading uh, from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in Kinyawanda. Have mercy. Umunto wese iro are muri Christo. Aba are ichiremwe gisha. Ibia kera biba bishize. Dore biose biba bihundutse bisha. Ariko ibio biose buturuko kumana. Yunze natwa 
kubo Christo. Ikadua umorimo wokiyunga nabande. Kuku mori Christo arimo imana yuyungie nabari mu ise ntiabe ika babaho iki babaraho ibi kumuru biabo kande no neho yatu bikije ijambo rumuzuru nicho gutuma tumba entumwa mu chimbyo chi kristo Dideste bisa naho imana imbingiri dra buritwe nukorero turabahenara mu simbo chi kristo Congreano Mwingye Nimana. The word of the Lord. Merkozichani. So, if you're visiting this morning, uh, my name's Keith Boyd and I'm the lead pastor here. If you've been coming to Trinity for a long time, my name is Keith Boyd and I'm the pastor here. Um, <laughs> I gave up pleats for Lent, um, and so um, my wife has been been um, bugging me for years to update my wardrobe, and so finally now I kind of look pastorish. So here you go. Um, I don't know if it'll last, but it's here today. We uh, a number of weeks ago. Uh, Beth and I were were talking in her office, and uh, we were talking about all the division in our country and in our world right now. And and Beth said, um, you know, we really ought to do a Lenten series on reconciliation. And so I thought about it and prayed about it, and it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and so... This morning, we kick off our, as Beth said earlier, our walk toward Resurrection Sunday. Um, we kick off this series called Reconciled. And to get us started, I'd like for you guys to get in um, small conversation groups, uh, three or four people, uh, just people that you're seated around. Introduce yourselves, if you don't uh, know the names, and, and learn the names of the people that you're seated by. And then I want you to answer this, this question. Um, what is your favorite current TV drama series? Current, okay? Don't go back to West Wing or to Parenthood or to, you know, Knight Rider or any of those way back when. Um, current TV drama series, what is your favorite one and why, Okay. So you got a couple of minutes to talk about this. Okay. So what were what were some of the favorites? The Walking Dead. Law and Order. Blue Blood. What was that Albert? Chicago Fire. I haven't seen that one. Okay, so Madam Secretary, there you go. Um, 
what all of those shows have in common is that they have there's a a a team of writers who come together each bringing a different perspective to the table and they collaborate to write the series now every episode um, for most of, of these series is kind of standalone. I mean, there's, a, there's a, 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 a plot to each episode. But it, all of those episodes contribute to the overall story, right? So even though there's one episode maybe, you know, focusing on one thing and another on something else, they all contribute to the, to the overall story of the series, well, that's what the Bible does. If, you, if you've ever read the Bible from start to finish, what you will see is that the Bible is a story. And by saying the Bible is a story doesn't mean that it's myth or that it's fiction. It just means that it has all the elements of story. And all of these writers, over 40 of them, um, come to the table with their different perspective and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they, um, they contribute their episodes, if you will, to this long, to this one main story that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And, and as, it, it, as it moves on, it has all the elements of story. There's this overarching theme or plot there are, are subplots that, that come in, in in all the episodes. There are characters that move the plot forward. But what we have to understand is that the, the while all of these authors bring a um, bring something to say in their episode, the the story of the Bible is directed by God. He's like the the head writer and he says no you know we got to we got to keep this thing going. And so that's that's if you read the Bible um, as a story that's what you see in it. Now, if I was going to ask you, if I were to ask you to to boil down all of the uh, all of the episodes all of the components of, of the scriptures and to, to summarize everything that you read into one word, what would it be? Here's a hint. It was reconciled. There you go. It was read four time, or five times for us in the four verses that, that Greg and Dave read. Now, I know they read in Kenyawanda, but, um, but Roy, would you put it back up on the screen? Or who's up there? I'm James. Um, four times, or five times in these verses, you see in one form or another the word reconcile, reconciliation, reconcile. You see, if you were to boil the, the Bible down to one word, the goal of God's story is reconciliation. That's it. Now, when we talk about reconciliation, um, what is reconciliation? Reconciliation. 
The word reconciliation or reconcile, as Paul uses it here, is not derived from any, um, any word from the Hebrew scriptures or it's not used even in, in Greek religious language. It is used in classical Greek. And the scholar Harold Dittmanson says this, in classical Greek, it is denoted a change from a state of enmity to one of friendship, the healing of a quarrel. A radical change occurs in which an intimate and personal relationship is renewed. There is the suggestion of a real friendship, first existing, then broken, and finally restored. So if we were, gonna, if we were just going to map what reconciliation is, Sorry? Keith Art. Yeah, there you go. If we were going to map it, you would start with oneness. Brokenness. Back to oneness. That's what reconciliation is. You start with an existing relationship... It is broken, and then it's put back together. That's reconciliation. Um, the late Samuel Hind said that God has a one-item agenda listed in the uh, all-expansive and ever-inclusive word reconciliation. Now, you might be thinking, well, Keith, I understand that reconciliation is important, but how is that the overarching theme of the Bible? I mean... Um, how can you say that reconciliation is the goal of God's story? Well, um, to answer that, we're going to walk through the whole Bible this morning. I hope you don't have lunch plans, okay? And let me say right up front, this is one of those are you with me sermons. And if you've been at Trinity for a while, you know what that means. It means that every now and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask the question, are you with me? And your answer is, even if you're not, just say yes to humor me. And let me also say that over the last several weeks, I have read a number of books on reconciliation. Um, And this morning, I'm going to draw very heavily from three. The Blue Parakeet by um, Scott McKnight, Um, uh, All Things Reconciled by uh, Emmanuel Conangoli and Chris Rice, and then another by Curtis DeYoung just called Reconciliation. And so, and I'll give you those titles later if you're interested in reading them, but what, what I'd like to, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to boil it all down for us this morning. Okay, are you with me? Perfect. Um, So the first episode of God's story is in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, where God creates everything in perfect order, perfect unity. You could, um, there is a oneness in creation, okay? And the pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. So if you read Genesis 1, he, as he's creating everything, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he comes to uh, verses 26 and 27. And God says, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God creates the man and the woman in his image. And God is a triune God. He is three in one. It says... He says, let us make human beings in our image. So in the Godhead, there is community. In the Godhead, there is this perfect unity. There is this three-in-oneness, if you will. And so being created as his image bearers, being created in the image of God, he wants humanity to experience the same, um, the same oneness, the same community, the same um, love. And to underscore this point, in Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Why wasn't it good for the man to be alone? Because in himself, he couldn't experience oneness of, of the Godhead. So he creates the woman. The point of Genesis 1 and 2 is this. God wanted humanity to enjoy what the Trinity uh, enjoyed and experienced eternally. From eternity past to eternity future. The perfect loving communion and oneness. And when the man was alone, he couldn't do that. So to make the need for communion and love abundantly clear, God creates the male and the female so that they can together experience the glories of unity and love. Now the bottom line of the creation story is that, we, is that it communicates what we were made to be and to do. God is Trinity. He is three in oneness. And he designs humanity to be his image bearers, that we too would be um, one, reflecting the glory of God and the image of God. McKnight says, if you get anything out of Genesis 1 and 2, this is it. The loving oneness of God finds earthly expression in the loving oneness of Adam and Eve. When image bearers are at one with God, with self, with others, and with the world, the glory of the one God illuminates all of life. So do you see the intent of God in creation? That there would be oneness? That's Genesis 1 and 2. Are you with me? But then comes the next element of the story. The oneness gets broken. Everything's going great. Adam and Eve are cruising around. God has given them freedom to experience uh, the glories of creation. And all he said is, there's one tree. There's one tree that you can't eat from. And so Adam and Eve have all of this stuff to explore, and yet they find themselves hanging out around the one tree. And I'm thinking, couldn't you figure out something else to do? I mean, you're naked for crying out loud. Um, I'll leave it there. Um, 
But no, they choose to do the one thing that God told them not to do. And as a result, the image-bearing oneness that they were created for is now broken. That's what sin does. When we don't listen to God and we go against his best for us, when we rebel against the freedom that he's given us and try to redefine that in our own terms, it distorts, it breaks the oneness that we were created for. And we see that in Adam and Eve's self-awareness. Um, at the end of chapter 2, before they rebelled, it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. But then after they rebelled in 3.7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now they're ashamed of themselves. So what do they do? Well, first they try to hide from God. And that doesn't work out too well. Um, And then once God discovers them because of their shame and because of their brokenness, what do they start doing? They start blaming each other and even blaming God. Right? What did Adam say? It was the woman that you gave me. Right? There There is brokenness. The end result is they have to be removed from the garden. Here's the thing. Because they sinned, they no longer experienced and enjoyed the oneness they were created for. They were at odds with God. They were at odds with themselves. They were at odds with each other. The oneness of Genesis 2 has now become brokenness. Again, this is from McKnight. He says, instead of loving one another as they love themselves, they will now desire to climb over and they will now desire to climb over the other and on top of the other and other to control and dominate. See, the problem that sin creates is broken relationships. Where there was once oneness, there is now brokenness. Not just broken relationship with God, but broken relationship with ourselves and with, with others. And the entire rest of the Bible is the story of God's redemptive plan of how he is going to restore human beings into a oneness relationship with God and with each other. In a word, it's about reconciliation. The goal of God's story is to repair the brokenness and restore the oneness. Are you with me? Now, at this point, a lot of us would like to jump ahead from Genesis chapter 3 to like the Gospels or or maybe Romans, you know. Let's just get past all of that Israel stuff. Um, If we do that, we miss something like a thousand pages. If we jump from Genesis 3 to the Gospels, we miss the context in which the the redemption happens, the reconciliation happens, namely the context of community. You see, when we read the Bible as story, what it teaches us 
is that brokenness with others concerns God just as much as our brokenness with him. Why? Because we can't be one with him if we are not one with each other. We in the Western world tend to be focused on our individual relationship with God. And we talked about this several months ago when we were doing Mission Possible. When we read the Bible, uh, too often we read it from a very individualistic perspective. But the problem with that is the context of God's story is community. Most of the promises in the Bible are not made to me. They're made to we. They are not to I or for I. They are for us. And when we, when we take God's redemptive plan out of community, we miss what God really intends for us. We will never understand the fullness of what Jesus came to do for us when we, when we don't recognize that life is intended to be lived in this loving oneness community. We misread God's story if we see reconciliation as solely vertical, only restoring people to God. Yes, that is the central part of the story, and it is a glorious part. It is great news. But what is also clear from the story is that God wants us to reconcile with each other. How do we know that? Well, after the fall of Genesis 3, after he allows his, his broken image bearers to mess around for about seven chapters, and then he does a do-over with Noah and the flood, what he does next is very important. God forms through Abraham, a covenant community. A community in which they are to find oneness with God and oneness with others. And this covenant community shapes the entire rest of the Bible. Episode after episode after episode. When you read God's story, you will see from Genesis 12 to Revelation that oneness cannot be achieved simply between God and self. In order for oneness to be achieved, it must involve others as well. When you read the story of God, you will see that, that the way God works redemption in this world is through his covenant community. First Israel, who was called to be a blessing to the whole earth, and then through his new covenant community, the church. We are called to do the same. So when you read the, the, the story of God, you see that there's this huge problem, though. In the Old Testament, God's people don't get the job done. They can't get the job done. And they know they can't. There is something in them, something even in us, that just knows we were created for oneness, but that we can't accomplish it on our own. Israel um, recognized this and memorialized this in what is probably the highest holy day of their calendar, and that is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Um, 
And atonement, the idea of atonement is restoration of oneness. It's reconciliation. When a wrong has been done, when, when a relationship has been violated, reparations must be made. Um, satisfaction of justice must happen. If Charlie, if you steal $100 from me, okay, um, which he's done several times, by the way. Um, <laughs> if you steal $100 from me, it's not enough for you to come to me and say, oops, my bad, sorry, I won't rip you off again. That's just not going to cut it. Um, what else do you need to do? You need to pay me back. There ha- money has to change hands. There has to be um, justice has to take place. That's what atonement is. The, the word atonement came into the English language in about the 16th century. Originally, it came from this. At one meant. The idea of atonement was that restoration is made and we are made one again. That where we once were one, we were then broken, but now we're one again. See, that's what atonement is. It is at one meant. What was very clear, at least to some in Israel, is that we have violated God's intent for our relationship with him and with each other. And this is not a small problem. Every time we sin, every time we mistreat somebody, every time we ignore somebody or cheat somebody or manipulate or flatter or deceive or use or exploit or gossip or demean or oppress or marginalize, every time we relate wrongly with someone else, we violate a God whose character is perfect oneness and whose will of all of creation is nothing but but good. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be reconciled. But what we see in God's story is that God's people can't get it done. So what does God do in order to, to redeem the brokenness and achieve oneness that we were created for? He sends his son, Jesus. And when Jesus comes, God's story takes a huge turn because everything God designed for his image bearers to be is actually lived out by Jesus. And those who, are, are, those who follow him are then able to live as he did by being what? In Christ as Paul says, or being one with Christ. You see, Jesus died and rose from the dead for our at-one-ment so that we could be one with him and one with each other. God designed us to be one, and the only way that can be actualized is when we are one in Christ. Are you with me? 
So, wow, I only have five minutes left. How do we see this theme of oneness, of reconciliation lived out in the episodes of Jesus' life? Well, I'll give you a few things. He reached out to people who were not of his cultural background, whether Samaritans or Romans or Canaanites. Uh, women traveled with Jesus as a part of his entourage and, and, and helped fund his ministry. At the crucifixion, it was an African, Simon of Cyrene, who carried his cross. Um, as he was dying on the cross, it was a European, a Roman, who declared the words of faith, who said, surely this man must be the son of God. Uh, after his resurrection, Jesus challenged his followers to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And in the great high priestly prayer of John 17, right before Jesus went to the cross, the thrust of that prayer is, Father, may they be one even as you and I are one. That was the thrust of Jesus' ministry. Perhaps the most compelling act of reconciliation that Jesus initiated was his invitation um, for people who were considered sinners and outcasts to actually join him at the dinner table. You see, in Palestine, when you sat with someone at a meal, you were saying, this is my friend. And this was a scandal in first century Palestine, because all of the, or not all, but most of the Pharisees would, would scoff at Jesus and say, can you believe how he's eating with sinners? Jesus didn't care. In fact, he intentionally did it because he was crossing the boundaries established by society and creating relationships with those who were devalued by the community. He shared food and drink with women, Samaritans, poor people, diseased people, and he did it in public. He taught about reconciliation by acting it out in the presence of those who desired it most. Jesus' words were, everyone is welcome at my table. That's what he lived. Friends, what we learn through the gospel episodes of God's story is that through his life and his death, Jesus came to be a restorer of oneness. He came to redeem the brokenness. He came to reconcile us both to God and to each other. Are you with me? Okay. So I have two, two minutes and 40 seconds. I'm not going to get it done. I'll just tell you that right now. Okay, we could spend days on this. But let me try to wrap this up. What we know is that in our world and in our lives, there is division. There are broken relationships. There are people that we just don't want anything to do with. That's what Jesus came to fix. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing one of his episodes of God's story, this one called Ephesians, he says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, which, by the way, 
Paul is writing this letter to um, the Ephesians from jail, having been thrown into jail for violating this law of breaking down the barrier. And you can read about that in Acts 21. It's pretty cool. But anyway, sorry. Um, by um, one And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, get this, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. What Paul is saying is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ were a recreation experience that served as a catalyst for restoring the oneness that was broken by sin. We were created in oneness, but sin brought brokenness. And so Jesus came and he restored. He did a recreation and restored the oneness. I think it's also important to note that at the same time that Paul was writing this, historically, the Jews and the Syrians were killing each other in the streets of Caesarea. And the the tensions between colonial Rome and the people uh, that were subject to Rome were, uh, were running extremely high. So the act of reconciliation was meant to break down both the walls and the temple religion, taking down that dividing wall that separated all of the, the, you know, the, the women and the non-Jews and the, the outcasts from actually going into the temple. It was there to reconcile that, but it was also there to reconcile societal oppression. When you read through Paul's letters, this theme of unity, this theme of oneness is throughout. In Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. The point is, if you are reconciled to God, then you need to be reconciled to each other. There are no dividing walls anymore because if you are in Christ, you are one. We see this modeled in the early church. Um, The impact, the greatest impact impact of the Holy Spirit being given at Pentecost. And you can read through the episode of Acts and you can see that, that God was bringing people from every background together into this, this thing called the church. But the, the, the most impactful thing that the Holy Spirit did at Pentecost was not give the gift of tongues the most impactful thing that the Holy Spirit did was was he created a community of faith of every nation. And you read in Acts chapter 2 where it says they had everything in common. You read in Acts chapter 4 and it says they shared everything. You see, what God did at Pentecost, what God did in the church is he created this new covenant community that would, that would represent this idea of oneness to the world. 
When oneness is restored between God and self, it begins to work itself out in oneness with others. Love of God and love of others comes together. Which, not coincidentally, is what Jesus said sums up all of the law. Right? All of the law is summed up in this. Love God, love others. Why? Because it's about oneness. And that brings us back to the words of Paul. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Are you with me? Good, because we're done. What it, we're going to unpack this. We're going to unpack components of reconciliation as we walk toward Resurrection Sunday. And how do we live this out? But what I want you to take away this morning, and this was meant to just be, uh, lay the foundation. What I want for you to take away this morning is that um, whether you're reading from Malachi or Matthew, whether you're in, in Exodus or Ezra, whether you're in in Romans or Revelation, you are reading an episode of God's story. And the goal of God's story is reconciliation. It is taking us back to the oneness we were created with, where sin came in and broke it. And Jesus came and he said, through this community. We're going to make it one again. And that's our job. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, forgive us. Forgive us for allowing division and strife to Um, not just be a part of our lives, but in, in some ways to drive our lives. Lord, as we look at our country, as we look at our world, and we look at all of the, the brokenness around us, help us to see as a community of faith how we can be um, instruments of redemption, how we can be instruments of reconciliation because even as you prayed, you want us to be one even as you and the Father are one. So Lord, over these next weeks, help us to see the truth of who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do so that we might be one. For your name's sake we pray, amen.